Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Psalm, chapter 92. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, Lord, are forever exalted. For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish, all evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured on me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. So my name is David. Um, been in New York for about 18 years or so. And just a little bit about me. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 3, which means I'm a performer and an achiever. And so if you um, knew me in college, you would know that I loved being busy. I was always constantly busy. And I loved being busy, in fact. But now as I get a little bit older, every summer I'm reminded of, oh my goodness, now I start to feel like an iPhone battery. You know, an iPhone battery, like every year there's an iOS update, and unless you buy the new one, what does it do to your old phone? You can't get past lunch without the battery dying, right? Like I'm on to Apple, that's how they get you to buy the new iPhone, because they put this massive upgrade that your operating system can't handle, and so you have to uh, upgrade it or else your battery starts to deplete over time. And so that's kind of what I've been feeling more and more lately as an Enneagram 3, as someone who loves the city, who's busy, who loves being busy. That's why I was attracted to the city. But now I'm starting to understand why the Chinese characters for busyness, I've, I've, I've been told, is heart killing or losing heart because busyness is killing me. <laughs> And I want to contend that it's also probably killing us, this city that causes us to overwork, but also that doesn't allow us to truly rest. And I think that is a recipe for disaster, something that I really had to come to terms with. And so today, during these summer months, as uh, September is kind of barreling down toward us, I wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about Sabbath rest. The Christian can enter into a kind of rest that this world does not offer and cannot offer. And friends, it is so, so life-giving, and yet so few of us enter into it. And I'm willing to bet that not many of us here actually even understand why it is that we are commanded to take a Sabbath rest, nor do we actually practice it. And I get it. You know, again, in Enneagram 3, I'm an, I'm an immigrant child, which means I've been working at my parents' store the moment I could speak English better than they could, which is at like five or six years old. I'm, I'm a, a former investment banker, worked in finance, and I've been in New York City for 18 years, which means I've been virtually ignoring this command for my entire life. 
But as I've been growing and maturing in my own faith, man, I'm starting to see how critical it is, how this call to Sabbath rest is meant to not only change your life, but give you life. And so I want us to look at that and consider what this invitation from God might look like. And as we, uh, as we just read from Psalm 92, that's actually, we didn't put the subscript under it, but that is uh, a psalm that's meant to be sung by God's people on the Sabbath day. It's a psalm of the Sabbath. And so I want to use that to help us to think about what kind of person actually are we meant to become as we enter into the Sabbath rest that God invites us into. And friends, if we do, I guarantee you, we're not meant to be draining batteries, but we will be like what the psalmist says in verse 12. We'll be like a flourishing palm tree planted in the house of the Lord, bearing fruit in and out of season that will stay fresh. So come with me today as we look at um, Sabbath rest, and so we'll look at why we need it as we spend a little bit of time uh, unpacking the background to the Sabbath command, and then we'll look at how we get it by looking specifically at Psalm 92, the Sabbath psalm, and, and how that's meant to shape us as a people who aren't going to just wither away until our next vacation or wither away until our next weekend adventure but a people who might be able to flourish and thrive and live full of life in the midst of city life here. So come with me as we do that. So first, let's look at uh, why we need this kind of Sabbath rest. And like I said, our, our city not only is prone to overwork, but I really, I really think one of the key issues is we don't know how to truly rest. And I'm not talking about vacation. Oh, we're good at vacation. And the problem is, is when we equate rest with vacation, that's the reason why we're like depleted batteries. I mean, some of us here are pros at vacationing. You guys, are, you've got spreadsheets. You know where to go, when to go, where to eat, right? You know exactly what to do, and you know you planned it from top to bottom. Um, but here's the problem with vacation. Vacation literally means to vacate. It means to escape or to evacuate your life which means you leave your current circumstances for a moment in time, you go and you fill it with other things, another country, Netflix, margaritas, whatever it is, but then you come back to your same life. You're evacuating your life. And that's the problem with vacation. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, I'm going to Portugal in a couple of weeks, so if you have some spreadsheets, send it to me. I would love, would love if some of you are Instagram influencers to get me into places uh, that we'd like to go. But the problem with vacation is that it cannot make you care more about what's most important in life because it pulls you away from your current life. Because vacation is really like us uh, chasing dopamine hits with diminishing returns over and over again, which is why a lot of times when we come back from vacation, we're so tired. And what? We need a vacation from our vacation which shows we never come back full, restored, healed, ready to take on whatever life has for us, but instead we feel more sapped, and the only way we get through this next season of life is to look forward to our next vacation. And here's why that happens. I want us to look at this quote from, from David White, who's a poet who uh, recalls a conversation that he had with a Jewish rabbi, and the rabbi asked him, tell me about your exhaustion and burnout. And the rabbi says, the antidote for exhaustion is not necessarily rest, it's wholeheartedness. You are tired through and through because you're only half here. 
and half here will kill you after a while. You need something to which you can give your full powers. See, he's getting at this idea that we sort of intuitively know that true rest, real rest, is not just about your body. It's not just about your mind or your emotions, but true rest has to hit your heart. It has to make you whole. It has to fill you, mend you, strengthen you. Because as we live this life, especially here in the city, and it's so packed with so many things, we're often drained And we become less of ourselves over time. And so therefore, we need a kind of rest that can make us more of ourselves. Whole, full, rather than escaping from ourselves. And that's the biblical understanding of what Sabbath rest is actually meant to give to us when God says to take a day, make it holy, and rest on the Sabbath day. Here's how Pete Scazzaro defines the Sabbath. He says it is a weekly, 24-hour period in which you cease all work and rest, delight in God's gifts, and enjoy life with Him. That is 24 hours every week where you stop work, you enjoy the rest, you delight, you practice delight, and you, con- and you connect all of that to God, the giver of life, by contemplating God. And my question is, is how many of us actually do this? I bet not many, me either, because it doesn't feel practical, right? That doesn't fit in with our lives. 24 hours to completely cease, that's not how our city operates. And so what do we do? We come here, right, on a Sunday for an hour and 10 minutes, and maybe we have a meal afterward, or maybe we go to a community group throughout the week. And so we try to stuff all of that in within three hours, and a lot of times, We're kind of numb to it. We're not really engaged in what's happening here in this worship service. And I think if we do that, we actually miss the entire point and the offer of rest and life that God offers to us. And so I want us to really take a moment to understand why it is we are commanded to take this literal 24 hours to rest, stop, delight, and contemplate God. You see, in the Old Testament, there are two places where God commands the Israelites to practice Sabbath rest. First in Exodus 20 and secondly in Deuteronomy 5. Look at Exodus 20 with me. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. See, in Exodus, the Sabbath command is grounded in creation. And so Scripture says that just as God rested on the seventh day after working to make the world in six days, like Him, we are to to do the same. It is our way of being like God and identifying with Him in creation. But here's a funny thing that happens. Right? We're commanded to be like God, to imitate Him in His rest, ironically, for us to remember that we are not God. See, we rest like God in order to be reminded that we are not God. You see, because one of the great things about work, the purpose of work that we're given, is that it makes us kind of like God. We make things. We create Especially in the tech world, right? We make the impossible possible. We build things. 
That gives us power like God. And therefore, the temptation of work is for us to think, oh, I must be limitless. I must be able to do whatever I want. I must be omnipotent and all-powerful. And when we start to believe that, because we partner with God in work, it leads us to not being able to stop work and to rest. Because you start to think, well, I'm, I'm too important. You know, how many of us at work think, I can't take a week off? Are you kidding me? This place would fall apart without me. Heidi's probably thinking that right now about this church, you know? <laughs> I have to do it. If it's not me, nobody else will. And of course, that leads to overworking. And overworking always makes us feel kind of important at first, doesn't it? Look at me, look how much I'm working, look how much I'm doing. But here's the thing about overworking. Overworking will always betray your created nature. Because friends, work never stops. This side of eternity, work will always be unending. Work is infinite on this side of eternity. Therefore, you will always lose to work. You will always lose to work. Work will always win because you are not God. You are not infinite. And when we cease our work, we are intentionally setting limits around us that recognizes that we are not infinite beings. And so resting from our work reminds us that we are fragile, and that we are jars of clay that can be easily broken unless we are cared for and rested properly. And so when uh, Exodus tells us to stop from working, it's to remind us and keep us from thinking that we are big and indestructible and at the center of the universe making everything happen. I think many of us, we don't know how to live within our good, created, God-given limits, and it leads us to overfunction, it leads us to overwork, and ultimately it leads us to burnout. And this mentality of, I have to do it, I'm too important, is what's driving or our, our, our killing our hearts day after day if you don't know how to rest. But Exodus is telling us that not only are we meant to mimic the creator, but we are to be reminded that we are the created. But then the second place that the command for the Sabbath comes is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and that is grounded in our liberation. Look at what it says. Deuteronomy 5 says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. There, God is grounding the command in uh, Israel's liberation. Of course, he's hearkening back to the great salvation act of the Old Testament when Moses, as Israel's mediator, saves them under the hand of Pharaoh from being slaves in Egypt, and he does this amazing thing of parting the Red Sea, bringing them out into the promised land. And so God is saying, I'm commanding you to rest because remember, you were once a slave under a different master in Egypt who offered you no choice whether you could work or not. The choice was made for you. And the sole purpose of your work under your old master was so that Pharaoh could rest. 
And so therefore, taskmasters were placed over you in order to crack the whip anytime your production slowed or anytime you wanted to take a break or anytime you didn't produce as much as you were supposed to produce. Because slaves have no choice. They have no freedom to rest. They can't rest. And so God says, but remember, I rescued you. I brought you out of your former condition as slaves. I've saved you from those taskmasters that say over and over again, be productive or else. Do more or else. And here's a little trick to see if, am I actually under a different master and not the one of freedom and rest, is to think, do you often feel guilty for taking a break or resting? Do you feel like it's actually not yours to have? I feel that all the time, again, as an immigrant child who's prone to overwork. Do you hear that voice cracking the whip saying, you haven't done enough in order to rest yet. You don't deserve this rest. You need to do more. That's proof that work is our master over us. So if Exodus 20 is stopping us, is keeping us from saying, well, I'm too important to stop, Deuteronomy 20 is actually keeping us from saying, it's too important to stop, or they are too important to stop. The work is too important. It has to get done. And so this practice of Sabbath, like literally resting, is a, it, it seems like, oh, whatever, you just rest. But actually, in the powers and principalities of this world, it is a direct stand against the masters of this world that say, you must produce. You must serve the God of productivity. You are what you do. And that's what our work tells us all the time. And to that, it is a defiant act of worship to a God who invites us into his rest. You see, one master says that rest is only a reward for doing a lot. So you can't rest until you've accomplished more. And of course, we always feel like we've never accomplished enough to rest. But the other master, the good master, offers rest not as a reward, but as a gift. He says, you're mine. I am yours. There's nothing you can do that can make me love you any more or any less. So you can stop. You don't have to prove yourself to me anymore. You are loved. You are worthy. So you can play. You can delight. You don't have to be measured by units and hours anymore. And that is such a hard thing for our hearts to believe and trust in. And that's why the practice of Sabbath must include, it's not just sitting there doing nothing, the practice of Sabbath must include delight into play. Friends, God loves it when we can just play, when we can be free like children without the, care, without the cares and the worries of the world. That honors Him when we don't have to overfunction and measure everything. But we can be spending idle time Playing, playing adds no value, economic value to this world. But that's why it's so important that you play and delight doing the things that bring you and give you life because that is a mark of your freedom in Christ, not being slaves under a different master. So that's the greater why as to why we are commanded to rest. And there's, 
There's so much at stake in our formation and who we belong to and how we engaged in this world. But then, secondly, then let's, let's look at how we actually get the rest that we need. Because it's not just from stopping work. It's not just from delighting and doing things that give you life. But it must connect us back to the God who's called us to rest. Which means you must worship. You have to have an orientation of worship toward God. Mark Buchanan has this great quote from the book, The Rest of God. I would highly recommend this to anyone who is sort of thinking more about, oh, what does this actually mean for me? And he says that, in some ways, the whole point of the Exodus was actually Sabbath. Let my people go became God's rally cry that they might worship me. And here's the quote, at the heart of liberty is worship. That's the reason why God freed Israel was for worship. And he says, but at the heart of worship is rest, a stopping from all work, all worry, all scheming, all fleeing, to stand amazed and thankful before God and His work. There can be no real worship without true rest. And that is, friends, what brings us to our passage of Psalm 92. Again, this psalm that's meant to be read and sung by a gathered people like this on a weekly basis that shapes and forms us into a kind of people that connect our resting with a God who can actually give us the rest that our hearts need. Because like we said, rest, true rest, is much more than just your body or your mind resting, but your heart needs to be hit for you to truly rest. Worship is what really can heal our hearts and make us whole. And here's how. Look at verse 4 with me. The psalmist says, For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. See, the first thing that this Sabbath worship gives us is joy and gladness that is not tied to any particular circumstance. You know, I think what makes vacation really enticing for us is because we're often... Uh, we don't like the circumstances that we're in, and vacation kind of offers us the power to change our circumstances just like that. I'm going to transport to the Dominican Republic. I'm going to transport to Portugal. Right? It's still this escapism because our joy, our gladness is tied to how our lives are going here and now. But the psalmist here is not tied. Their joy and gladness is not tied to the circumstance. Their source of joy is tied to God, to Him. You see, once you get this kind of Sabbath rest, you don't have to flee to be rested. You can get it by meeting Him here and now. Because only when your joy is founded on Him, only His love is unchanging for you in your life. That's the only thing you can bank on that won't change no matter what your circumstances are. And it becomes this anchor for your soul and for your life that you're reminded of and you live into every single week as you worship him in Sabbath worship. But then look at verse 5. How great are your works, Lord. How profound your thoughts. You know, I think we spend so little time thinking about this world and seeing this world through God's eyes. We always see it just through ours. But Sabbath worship can give you a wonder and an attentiveness to the world all around us. You see, we said, you know, part of the reason for Sabbath is to know your limits. That is to say, put, like, make yourself small, right? Don't exceed or extend your boundary, but make yourself small, appropriately small. And something wonderful happens when you do that. 
God all of a sudden becomes really big. And when God becomes big and you become small, you will be filled with wonder and gratitude. You will marvel at the world around you. You know, G.K. Chesterton has this great parable about this little boy who was offered a choice to be uh, made really, really tiny or gigantic. And what do you think he chose? Wow, it's really quiet in here. <laughs> to be gigantic, right? And he said it was great. He would wade in the Atlantic Ocean like a pond, and he would scoop up great whales and throw them around. Right? He would kick over like the Rocky Mountains like it's an anthill. And then when he got tired, he would lay across middle America, and his arm would stretch into Canada. And it was wonderful for about a day. And then, he says, it got, oh, so boring. And as he was bored, he started to daydream about what would have happened if he made the other choice, to be minuscule, to be tiny, because then his backyard would have turned into the Amazon jungle. He would have ridden on the backs of butterflies, and he would have gone rock climbing down ant hills, and it would have been a world that would have been filled with endless discovery. And he would have been filled with marvel, joy, and excitement. Life, he says, would have been so much more interesting had he chosen smallness. See, only when you're small can you start to see the wonder of God in your everyday life. And friends, that is the very antidote to a life that feels like it's stuck on repeat, where you just feel like you're just getting up every day and you see the world in gray and not in color, and you just show up like a zombie. That's not the kind of life that we're meant for. But when we enter into Sabbath rest, we can actually grow in gratitude and appreciation for the world that God created, where we see his love all around us. And then verses 6 and 7, the psalmist continues, and he says, Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. What is that? The psalmist is getting clarity and perspective for this life because he's talking about the foolishness of a person who's living completely based off of a worldly perspective, who gets upside down and right side up wrong according to what God says. And so you start to lack clarity and focus or a vision for your life. And friends, when you start to get off kilter, off center, and you don't have a true north in your life, that's when you start to prioritize yourself over other people. That's when you start to prioritize your integrity and your character just to get ahead in life. That's when things start to fall off the rails. But Sabbath worship can reorient us toward an eternal perspective, knowing that no matter what this world says, I know what the Lord says no matter what people saying uh, is calling evil good and good evil here, I know that that's going to not be true in God's hands. And then finally, look at verse 10. The result of that is saying, You have exalted my horns like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured onto me. See, the horn was a sign for strength and vitality. You know, anointing oil in the hot ancient, uh, Israel, uh, in hot ancient Israel, where it was really dry, meant refreshment, whereas it moisturized the skin. And so as you worship, as you enter into this relationship with God, it can renew your strength and rejuvenate you like nothing in this world can. And I know that a lot of times we come here on Sundays and we sit here for an hour and it's like, eh, that was fine. 
But then have you ever had some of those weeks, some of those days where you just feel the presence of God? Where you walk out of here knowing that you met him, refreshed, rejuvenated, strengthened, and then you're ready to face whatever he's called you to throughout the week. Friends, imagine as God's gathered people receiving these things every week in Sabbath worship, our hearts receiving joy and gladness, wonder and clarity and strength and vitality. That is why the psalmist in verses 12 to 14 says that the righteous will flourish like a palm tree planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. See, when you receive that, you're able to thrive no matter what this world uh, faces you with. You don't just wither away looking for your next getaway. Because you're so close, you're in the house of the Lord and the presence of God, the one who actually can give you and your heart everything that it needs to thrive. Only he can make us whole to give us the kind of rest that we need. But friends, there's one last thing that we've got to see for us to really find true rest for us. And that's to see what is at the very center of Sabbath worship. What is at the very center of Sabbath rest here, in the, here with the psalmist? Everything here is about the works of God. Everything here is about what he has done and his deeds of love for his people. And of course, here in the Old Testament, he's talking about how God saved Israel from Egypt through the Red Sea to prove once and for all, Israel, I've got you. I love you. I'll do everything that I can in my power to protect you. And based on that, the psalmist feeds on it and is reminded of God's love that anchors us. But for us, friends, today, as a people who not only have the Old Testament but the New, my, that Old Testament act of salvation is just a paltry shadow of what Christ has done for us to prove once and for all that your hearts can rest completely in him. And to us who say, well, I'm just too important. I can't stop working. Jesus says, no, the reason why you are so tired is because you keep trying to take my place. And that, my friends, is what's causing you to die because that is the definition of what sin is. It's us taking God's place. But Jesus says to us, when we say, well, I'm too important, well, Jesus says, well, I'm the son of God, but I'm going to come and take your place as someone who's worthless, someone who is an enemy, someone who deserves to die, and I'm going to die that death for you. And for those of us who are slaves to our work, and we can't help but say, but it's too too important, that work has to get done. Jesus says to us, no, my friend. The most important work that needs to be done in restoring your relationship with the living God to keep you from eternal death, that work only I can do. And I've done it for you by living the life that you should have lived, a life completely trusting in him. See, friends, that's the gospel where Christ comes, and that's the miraculous work of redemption that we see in the New Testament where he says, I'm going to take your, lot, your place and I'm going to give you my place so that you can enter into this rest to know, for your hearts to know once and for all that you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. 
So rest, enjoy rest, delight and play and connect with me, the one who can give you life. Friends, if you are tired, if you feel like a depleting battery, enter into this Sabbath rest that's offered to you freely right here and right now. And I guarantee you it will change your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you say on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Would you help our hearts to rest in that, to trust in your finished work so that we might know that we are loved, that we matter, and so that our hearts can find the rest that will really give us what we need. Be with us to that end. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.